Well, good morning to everyone at home or, uh, again, here scattered in, in these various kind of small groups worshiping together this morning. You may notice that our worship time looks a little different than usual. We're moving a little more of the interactive part of our service toward uh, the back half of the service. So following the sermon, we want to really be intentional to open up time to pray uh, together through Scripture, to pray for one another, uh, and to worship together. And that's true whether you're here uh, in a group worshiping this morning or whether you're at home uh, with a spouse, with your family, with your kids, uh, or even if you are alone this morning. We really want to invite you to enter into this time, uh, to make these prayers your own, um, to, to really respond to uh, the worship we're being invited into together as God's family. So after uh, I look through this passage in Colossians 2, we will move directly into a time of praying through these scriptures together. Uh, and I'll sort of set the task of how to pray or what to pray for. Uh, but then I'm not going to do the praying for you. I want to invite you to, to pray out loud where you are and to lift those things up directly. Today we are in Colossians 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 7. So if you have a Bible present, uh, please feel free to open up to that passage. And this comes at the end of a series on how God builds and rebuilds his people, his living church. Colossians, we know, is a letter written by the Apostle Paul. We don't know precisely when or where he was living when he wrote it. Many believe he was probably in Ephesus, facing some of the most challenging years of his ministry. But we do know that he's writing to a group of believers in smaller nearby cities, uh, Colossae and Laodicea. And we know that they were going through some particularly challenging times as well, meeting with resistance. And even though Paul says in his letter that many of those he writes to he's never met in the flesh, he doesn't know personally it doesn't stop him from praying passionately here that the Lord would build up and edify the bodies in these places. So let me pray for us as we look at Colossians 2 that that same work of building up would be taking place in us today. Lord Jesus, Paul will go on to say in this letter that you are the fullness of God. You are the image of of the invisible God, the presence of God in human flesh. You are a treasure to us. Lord, would you reveal the mystery of Christ, who you are and how you are among us this morning? Lord, would you make up any part that is lacking in us? Would you complete it? Would you strengthen it? Would you reinforce it? We look to you, we depend upon you and your grace at work in us today. Pray now that the words of my mouth as I preach, that the meditations of each heart this morning would be pleasing in your sight. For you, Lord, are our rock and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is Colossians 2, 1 through 7. Paul writes, 
I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. And I delight to see how disciplined you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. I want to briefly examine with you in these seven verses Paul's instructions to these church families. And I want to highlight three attitudes, three behaviors that he says help keep us growing toward, help keep us being built up into the person of Jesus Christ during a difficult season. And the first of those attitudes or behaviors Paul imitates for us on our behalf. And he shows us how we are built to be a people who contend. There is an intensity about the words of Paul in verse 1. A, a zealous, almost competitive voice that, that's familiar in Paul's letters. And he says here, I want you to know how hard I am contending for you, meaning the church in Colossae and for those at Laodicea. How hard he's contending even for those he's never met in the flesh. And the intensity of verse 1 makes me want to know what is Paul contending for? In, in what way is he contending? What is he so passionate about here at the opening of chapter 2? The verb translated contend in verse 1 has a, a range of meanings in the Greek, just as it does in English. On one hand, it can refer to, to contending for something, the, the competition of, of being in a race and the endurance and the grit and the, the gutting it out in an athletic contest in order that we might contend for an honorable finish. Right? What's at the finish line waiting for us? That's one possible meaning of contend. The same word, though, can also refer to the struggle of conflict and division and contentiousness. Right? Contending with someone, being divided from them. An important question we need to ask is what kind of contending is Paul modeling for the church here? 
I think it only, it only takes us a brief moment if we look at ourselves, if we look at the current state of affairs in our nation and even in the church today, that there are times it feels like a pretty contentious season. We live amidst political tensions, racial tensions, pandemic tensions, and all of those are stacking up on top of one another and dividing us into pockets, right? polarizing us so that we are contending with one another. And the result of that is not just in the world out there, but even within the church body, there is an erosion of trust and unity. Is this the kind of contending Paul has in mind in verse 1? To be contending with one another. I think the answer is plainly no. Because if we look at verse 2... We see that Paul says he is not contending with these brothers and sisters. He is contending for them. He's contending on behalf of this group of struggling young churches. And he says this is what he's contending for. He's contending to bring them encouragement, love, and unity. Contending that they would know the identity of being one new people in Jesus Christ. Paul says he is straining every spiritual muscle in order that he might tear down what is contentious and instead that he might contend for, to race with, to quest, to to go for broke on behalf of his brothers and sisters that they might be encouraged. That they would know that someone is contending for them and building them up. As your pastors, I want you to know how hard Pete and I are contending for you in this season. How deeply we are praying for you that you would be encouraged, that you would be united, that you would be built up in heart and in love for one another. Even when we're spread apart, right? that you would be sustained in this season until Christ can gather us together again as the church visible, as the church united, as the church gathered. Let me challenge you to to imitate Paul, to imitate us in that respect, to contend for one another today. Pray with great passion for your brothers and sisters that they would be built up, that they would be united, that they would lay hold of the prize Paul says he is contending for in this passage and we see that, that prize that we are contending toward or for erasing to get to, starting at the end of verse 2 and on into verse 3. He says, we are a people built to contend for treasure. He says, I want you to have, to possess the full riches of complete understanding. To possess the hidden treasures, he says, of all wisdom and knowledge found in the great mystery of God. And that mystery, he says, is Christ himself. Paul is contending that we would go together with him into that mystery. 
There's something about mysteries that are compelling, that invite a kind of joy of discovery from us. Last night I was reading through the Father Brown mysteries, uh, which, are, which are a fun read because they, they ask you to imply, apply your, your reason, to apply your observation, to apply your imagination, to see where the mystery leads. Paul is inviting us to make new discoveries in the mystery of God. Some of you could remember a movie from a few years back entitled National Treasure. And it was a movie in which Nicolas Cage plays kind of an Indiana Jones type. He's a protagonist following this long string of clues left behind by the founding fathers of the United States. And these clues ultimately direct him to a hidden treasure. And in the very last scenes of the film, that treasure hunt, that mystery, leads him to the doors of Trinity Church in Manhattan. And then he goes into the church, and then he's led deep beneath the church, into its foundation, and even below the foundations of that church, where he finally uncovers a great treasure. Now, of course, the the treasure in that film is entirely fictional. But that idea of of the church being built upon a a hidden but inestimable treasure of, of unparalleled worth, riches, Paul says, we sit upon. We should not dismiss too quickly that image. Paul is contending. Paul is urging that we would be encouraged and united enough to, to pursue and to discover and to draw up out of the ground that great wealth of the person of Jesus upon whom we are built, upon whom the church rests. He wants us to go deep into the storehouses of riches and wisdom and knowledge and understanding that come from being united to the person of Jesus. He says, we are built upon that treasure. And he goes on in verses 4 and 5 to warn us against alternative false treasures, mysteries that lead nowhere. Paul says, stay away from fine-sounding arguments. Stay away from alternative philosophies. Stay away from conspiracy theories. Stay away from alluring ideologies. And he says, instead, be disciplined. He delights in the discipline of these churches that have ordered themselves, he says. They've disciplined themselves solely around the person of Jesus. They have kept themselves firmly grounded in that treasure. In the sole pursuit of knowing Christ more completely. Let me say right now is a time where we need to be rooted and grounded in the kind of spiritual practices that build up our faith. That locate our faith in Jesus. This is a time to walk in the Word of God, to be rooted more in it than in anything else, than in our social media feeds, than in our headlines. We need to hang upon the words of Jesus, not the words of papers or politicians. 
We need to be quick, Paul says, to encourage and contend for one another. And slow to contend with or against our brothers and sisters. We have this awesome treasure, Paul says, that we are built on and upon. A treasure we belong to. We have Jesus, the anointed one. The Lord of creation who saves his people. Paul says, delight yourself in him. Survey the vast wealth that he possesses. So that we would go on to become a people overflowing, drawing up that treasure so that it spills out of us in worship and gratitude and thanksgiving. It's the way he sort of finishes this idea in verses 6 and 7 bringing up from that storehouse of treasure praise of God that is overflowing. There used to be a a cartoon on the television after school when I was a kid called DuckTales. It was a Disney cartoon related to Donald Duck, and and the the main character in that that, uh, cartoon was his uncle, Scrooge McDuck, who was not a particularly... uh, honorable man. I don't know that we would imitate him in any other way, but, but he would frequently take the, the wealth he amassed. He was this entrepreneur, or a, a business tycoon. He took his treasure and he amassed it in this vault that he built like a swimming pool. <laughs> and if you remember, Scrooge McDuck would swim through his piles of treasure. It was his greatest delight. Right? It was the thing that he loved most. And as a kid, I used to think, man, that would be cool. Could you really do something like that? Of course, that's a foolish thing to do with mere earthly riches or treasure. But Paul tells us it's what we must do with the treasure of Christ Jesus. Right? We must revel in it. We must luxuriate in it. We must live in it and for it and from it. In verse 6, he he gives us an imperative. He says, take now all that you have received about Jesus, all the teaching, all the understanding that he is the Christ, the anointed one of God, that he is the Lord over all things, that the whole universe was built for him. He is at the center of reality. He says, take those things and now live in them. Let that reality swim through your imaginations and your passions and your projects. Allow the vibrant, beautiful treasure that is Jesus, the Christ, to work its way through you. It says, grow roots that anchor you in that treasure. Build structures from it that fortify your faith. So that as you begin to obey him, as you begin to live in him, you would also overflow with thankfulness. As we prepare ourselves for a Thanksgiving week, unlike any on on recent memory at least, I want to offer us the opportunity to, to pray into these words of scripture so that we might be a people who overflow with thanksgiving. And so I'm going to put up a, a part of, of each of this uh, three sections of this passage. 
And I'm going to invite you to pray them in a very particular way. I pray for things. And I don't want you to listen to me pray. I'll set the task for you in prayer, and then I'm going to be quiet for a minute or two. And if, if you're in a, a room at home, pray for those gathered around you and with you. If you're in a room here at church, pray out loud for one another in that room this morning. And then after a minute or two, I'll, I'll move you on to the next part of this prayer. But firstly, I want to begin by asking you to contend for each other this morning. And specifically for those seated next to you or around you or that come to mind, contend that they would be encouraged in heart and united in love today. Who needs a fresh dose of encouragement? Pray for them right now. I'm going to let you take a minute or two to do that. Feel free to keep your prayers specific and, and brief, pointed. Who needs to be encouraged and contended for today? As you wrap up that section of prayer, now I'd like you to take a minute to, to pray into the, the treasures of Christ and name together who Jesus Christ is, what you know to be true about him and the way he loves and cares for you and for the church. Just pray into that treasure of Jesus Christ right now. Finally, I want to encourage you to finally let your prayers overflow with gratitude, with thanksgiving right now. And, and be specific to name where you sense encouragement, where you sense the blessing of God, where you sense his provision of, of rooting you and building you up in this season. Share those things out loud as, as prayers of thanksgiving, just for another minute or two. Lord, we pray that we would treasure you fully, that we would let our roots go down deep into the foundation, the cornerstone that is Jesus the Christ. Lord, that we would urge and encourage one another onward, in the months ahead, that your church would be rebuilt and renewed and re-strengthened in this season. And Lord, in this particular week, would you cause us to be deeply grateful? Would you open up space for us to worship you and revel in you and delight ourselves in you? Lord, that's the desire of our heart. We offer these prayers to you. We offer our church family to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.